Welcome to Every Horror Movie on Netflix, the show where we watch and review and discuss every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Chris, as always, and with me, as always, is Patrick. As always. And Stephen. Hello. And this week we're going to be talking about The Wind, a 2018 Western horror thriller period piece, etc., a twenty four film, and uh, IFC Midnight film. It's it, but it's from the it's from the genre we might describe as a twenty four <laughs> film. Though a twenty four is no longer a distributor; it is a genre. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. Um, but before we talk about the wind, you know, on every horror movie on Netflix, we like to do a little catch up of what else we've been doing uh, in the in the last two weeks since you heard us last. So, what's going on, people? You doing anything horror related? Have you watched anything interesting? Seen anything uh, interesting? Anything spooky happen in real life? I have. I watched The Faculty, inspired by some random Instagram post. I think I saw nineteen ninety. Was it a was it a white woman's Instagram? <laughs> I don't think so, but I it really hard to tell. It's one of those kind of like generic horror movie accounts where you don't know who's running it exactly. But mm. you know, could quite possibly have been a white woman. You never know. Anyways, it's a nineteen ninety eight film and good lord does it have everything it's directed by robert rodriguez it's written by uh fucking kevin Kevin williamson Williamson. who wrote scream it's basically got everything you could want if it's 1998 you've got your josh hartnett you've got your elijah wood you've got your uh fucking ushers in it you've got got john johnson John Dog is in it. Robert Patrick is in it. Salma John Hayek's Stewart. in it. John <laughs> no, li- Stewart. Our listeners don't know that John Dog is Robert Patrick. <laughs> John Dog, yeah, that's that's what we call. <laughs> because uh, he played John Doggett on the X Files. Yeah, exactly. A very underrated, criminally underrated character. But it's got every fucking actor you could ask for in the late 90s, honestly. And it's got, there's aliens, there's body snatching shit going on, there's some gore, there's teen drama, there's snarky dialogue between teens. Had a great time with this film. I did too. I I watched it. I had seen it at some point in the distant past. Um, and remembered nothing except that Elijah Wood was in it. And, mm-hmm. and I was really into him for a long time. Still am, really. Um, this is a blast. I mean, it's it's a big, dumb movie. It's oh, messy. Yeah. It's got its flaws. It's, it's campy to a fault. Like, I think so much of it is probably intentional. Um, looking at some of the stuff that Kevin Williamson did later, like the Final Destination movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I fucking loved it. If you can cast your mind back to 1998 while you're watching it, it's even better. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's a blast. And I forgot to mention also, Piper Laurie of Twin Peaks is in it as well. Wait, what? I don't yeah. remember her. She plays the, I, I forget what she teaches, but she's one of the teachers. She's one of the teachers who gets possessed oh my God, very early yes. on. Yeah. I did not even realize that was her. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What a delight. Everyone, if you missed it somehow in the 90s, as I did, because I lived in a bubble at that time, go out and check it out. If you've seen it already, 
go watch it again. I, I'm definitely in the category of I've seen it long ago and forgot most of it. Should probably revisit it. Um, you know, I, I always liked uh, the Bailey School Kids books when I was uh, young. Vampires don't wear polka dots. Gremlins don't chew bubble gum. All that shit. You know Dead men don't wear plaid. Something like that. You know, you know what I'm talking about. It was. It was. Uh, these, I haven't heard of these now. Oh, it was these books. They were they were for children, and the concept was there were like a, a group of kids at their school, and in every book they would suspect that someone working at their school was like some type of monster. And there would be a scene in every every book where they're they're debating, much like Mulder and Scully, whether the character is actually a monster, like a werewolf or whatever. And then like some kid would be like, besides, everyone knows werewolves don't wear Nikes or whatever. <laughs> like, uh, that would be the name of the, the book. But gotcha. like the gym teacher would be a werewolf or the new assistant principal would be a gremlin or someone would be a mummy and great yeah. shit. And that's you know basically what going on in the faculty these oh, yeah. i'm looking this up these titles are amazing werewolves don't go to summer camp <laughs> ghosts don't eat potato chips and gremlin <laughs> i'm sorry leprechauns don't play basketball just oh FYI. yeah because the the gym teacher was a leprechaun yeah <laughs> wow yeah it sounds like uh i mean this sounds like it's just due for the inevitable netflix series oh, adaptation oh, eli roth is probably already working on it <laughs> I, would, I would love that to be honest i would be, i would love it Oh man, Chris, you you would definitely appreciate though. Robert Patrick is just in full malevolent energy mode in this movie. Like Jesus, he's so just uh, uh, threatening. He's, he's terrifying. Just a threatening pre- presence. Yeah. Good. Well, I watched something this week that I enjoyed quite a bit. I watched Sea Fever. Uh, I caught it on Hulu, and it's an Irish film. And it's about a marine biology student who goes out on a fishing boat to like complete one of her projects. Uh, and the fishing, she's just you know there to look at the fish. She's just there to look at the fish. But the captain goes into a restricted area, and they encounter a large. I can't even tell you what they encounter. I feel like it'd be given too much away. But it is a fever. A, there's a fever involved. There's a biological Ooh. threat at sea, and we're trapped on a boat trying to deal with it. And it was very well made, pretty suspenseful. Uh, I really enjoyed watching this movie. It fell a little bit flat for me in the like the movie. It was over. And I was like, well, what was what was that all about? Why, why did I watch that movie? But moment to moment, it was great. The cinematography. It was some of, one of the best shot movies I've ever seen. Everything was gorgeous. The performances were great. And you have a bunch of people trapped in a situation. And, like, they're all actually, like, smart and doing smart things to solve the problems. And I always love that. So you can check that out if you're so inclined. If you get a chance to watch it. I love this. I love the movies that Ireland will, will publicly finance in the, in the horror category. <laughs> Hell, yeah. How about Steven? you, Steven? Oh, I mean, I had the faculty. That was it. Oh, <laughs> all right. I mean, well, unless you yeah. want to hear about Mayor of Easttown, but it's I, not I, quite I horror. Don't. No, I don't. <laughs> I know you've also uh, played the video game adaptation of The Wind, but we, sh- we should probably save that for uh, the spoiler room. Yeah, I mean, I I tried to play it. If we can say that much, <laughs> I did too. I didn't get much of anywhere. I had this. I, I had the same experience that you reported early on. I, did you end up like making it any further? No, 
Okay. Yeah, that was it was kind of puzzling. I'm not sure what was going on there. All right, well, let's get into the main uh, event then. Uh, like I said earlier, we're talking about The Wind, a uh, movie I chose uh, for this week's episode. And I chose it just because uh, I was allu- I was drawn into the, the title and the, the imagery that was on the Netflix catalog. You know, I'm always looking for a nice, uh, slow burn, sort of moody, atmospheric, spooky movie with an ominous, vaguely defined threat. That's not really what I got, but, um, you know, I was, I was very drawn to the concept of like a a homesteading woman, uh, in the, in the 1800s on the prairie, who's concerned that there are things not quite right outside the walls of her home. This is a movie that premiered in 2018 at the Toronto International Film Festival. It notably uh, is written and directed by women, has a lot of women as the department heads. And as Patrick said, it's a uh, IFC midnight release, although it could be described as being in the A24 genre. Dude, I feel like we were watching a lot of IFC Midnight movies for a while there. Like, that kept coming up as a running topic of conversation early on, and I feel like we haven't actually watched one in a long time. Or maybe we just stop talking about it yeah they have a lot of stuff on netflix um especially towards the beginning of the alphabet yeah hashtag horror a dark song anti-birth anti-birth those are the ones that stick out in my mind the most i think baskin was ifc midnight Mm. yeah so i've always i've always liked ifc midnight like their their hit to miss ratio isn't quite as good as the a24 movies i've seen but it's I feel like you usually get something that's a little more interesting than, you know, your your be afraids and your your run the mill <laughs> Netflix fair. They take a lot of chances uh on small films and filmmakers and and I think that's cool, but yeah, they they miss more often than they hit, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, anyways, what the fuck's this movie about? So, uh, the movie is about a... Uh, it's, it's very easy to keep track of the characters, because there's only four of them. We have a woman named Lizzie. I mean, well, no. Well, all right, five? Five of them? <laughs> five, five, five tops. <laughs> well, you never know. There might be more. Um... <laughs> So we have a we have a couple. Uh, Lizzie is our main character, and uh, who I guess the actress was also in Insidious: The Last Key, the only Insidious movie I have not seen. So I'll be checking that out. But we have Lizzie, and she lives with her husband Isaac, and they are homesteading out on the prairie. There is no one else living around them for fucking 150 miles, as far as we're concerned. It's just them and the grass and the wind and their chickens and their goat. And very reminiscent of the Vavitch in mm-hmm. that sense. So it's a film yes. I thought of many times throughout this. Yes, White Philip, dude. White Philip. <laughs> it's a very, very obvious uh, comparison to make for sure. Um, so. <laughs> This is a hard movie to talk about because it's... it's <laughs> well, okay, then. <laughs> I didn't mean anything by it. I'm just saying, yes, well, I why agree. why don't you learn to say what you mean? <laughs> I agree. Chris is like, shut up and sit down. Claws out. <laughs> um, but this is a movie that's, that's told in a, uh, a very nonlinear fashion. 
uh, extremely nonlinear fashion. So we're going to tell you some things about the premise that aren't necessarily revealed in the right order, but it's it, we're not going to spoil anything until we get to the spoiler room. Basically, we got Lizzie and Isaac are living in the house. Eventually, a new couple, Emma and Gideon, move in, like, I don't know, a quarter mile away, a little less than that, something like that, into the only other cabin in sight. They develop a fragile friendship because they're the only people in town you know it's it's like who the hell who the hell else are you going to be friends with and you know not long after this this other couple moves in and they start to develop a relationship some weird things start happening the neighbor woman emma starts to uh, she gets pregnant and she begins to think that there's some dark force outside on the prairie in the wind that is trying to affect her and possibly take her baby and then eventually the dark forces begin to encroach on Lizzie and Isaac as well and it's it's kind of a vaguely defined threat right and so I don't I don't really know much what, what, what much what to say about it other than that well I mean we may as well cut to the chase because the movie literally does I mean the movie opens with blood-stained Lizzie walking out of the house with a dead baby in her arms and immediately after we bury the corpse of Emma whose skull has been blasted open with apparently a shotgun. So like we start off very much with, you know where this all is going. And usually I don't like this kind of a setup, as we all know, because I feel like a lot of movies start with, you know, the the dramatic event that happens half or two thirds of the way through and then work up to it. But I actually kind of liked it with this film because Lizzie is still so actively trying to unpack everything that's happened and figure out why it's happened. And so it fit very much with the character's experience of trying to understand herself what had gone on because very soon after these these shocking deaths both the men leave and leave her completely alone in this house Um, and she's just trying to sort out what's going on what's in her head what's not Um, so I found it pretty effective and that's a good way to summarize sort of the the a plot of the movie which is just taking place in the present day Lizzie home alone trying to make sense of all the horrible shit that's been happening. Then we cut back and there's a B plot, a C plot, a D plot, an X plot, and they're all intertwined and, and kind of jammed in. We got flashbacks, we got flashbacks within flashbacks, and it's all very confusing. Well, I mean, they're all the same plot. It's just different points in time that we're cutting between. Right, but there's different threads within those plots. You know, we have kind of the story of Emma's pregnancy. We have the story of Lizzie's pregnancy. We have the story of various But it things. is all importantly seen through Lizzie's point of view. It's not like we really see what's going on with anybody that doesn't involve Lizzie. Right. It's all her memories. Her memories, yeah. And and it does it does all that sort of time shifting in a way that does feel disorienting but again in a way that uh struck me as effective and very intentional you know it it feels very much the way that you'll be doing something and some small element of whatever activity you're involved in that casts your mind back to something related from two weeks or three months ago or whatever it felt very natural 
Um, and even when those sort of disorienting shifts happen, I could pretty quickly piece together where we were in the timeline and why Lizzie was thinking about this thing in, in that particular moment. Yeah, they, they segue in out of them in you know, a way where the, there are explicit reminders. It reminded me of the way the narrative is told in Hitman Contracts, where Agent 47 <laughs> has been vitally wounded and he's recovering in a, in a seedy motel room. And there's a surgeon who's like working on him and like he hears the dripping tap of the faucet. It and it takes him back to the mission he did five years ago and it was raining and that kind of thing you know maybe agent 47 was actually the villain of this movie I maybe he, imp- maybe I, he I, shot emma <laughs> it would have been a better movie <laughs> <laughs> i had a hard time with the with the non-linear nature i did too i mean it's it sounds like both of you had an easier time than i did like especially because this isn't set over a particularly great deal of time and it's all in this the same general setting like i i got very confused trying to figure out where in the timeline we were once you know once the idea early on is intimated that they're there that both of these women were pregnant and had miscarriages like it just it it i I had to kind of pause and reflect a few times to catch up and figure out where we were Mm -hmm. and i struggled to really find a motivation for telling the story this way other than that it is disorienting and it mirrors the way our protagonist is feeling and kind of processing these events like it's a it's an admirable effort i just it didn't work very well for me maybe that's a me problem though no i actually agree a hundred percent um that's how i felt and i had a very hard time with it and it it kind of actively frustrated me because i just didn't understand the motivation for it and again it's like there's it's not just like we're going from one period of time back to another period of time back and forth there's like Mm -hmm. three or four different periods of time that we're going through and i had to do considerable amounts of work at the beginning of every scene to be like okay uh, oh, Lizzie's pregnant now? Okay, so this must be, and I'm doing the math, like, all right, well, we saw her having sex. Is that when she got pregnant? Is this nine months later? Is this before the other girl got pregnant? I, I'm, I'm losing my mind watching this movie. Losing so I actually, I actually found it surprisingly clear. I mean, through um, costumes and lighting, even, like the, the earlier scenes in the timeline are lit in a, a much more uh, sort of warm and, and sunny sort of tone. Pregnancy progressions you know the way emma's belly progresses i would have that moment of disorientation when we would switch timelines or points in time but i would always lock on to whatever point in the story we were at pretty quickly based on you know one of one of those cues or or multiple of those cues well, let me tell you something I found out. I read an article that was in Screen Daily, and this was around the time the movie premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival, and they talked to the writer, Teresa Sutherland, and the director, Emma Tammy, I think. To me. Yeah, I think you're right. Emma Tammy. And they talk about how they chose to present the story through a series of flashbacks of course to kind of emphasize lizzie's headspace but then they said that it was a complicated structure and that the two were reshuffling scenes throughout the entire process all the way through post-production and the director said our first edit was exactly how it was in the script and we were like well this doesn't work at all so we need to re-envision and re-scramble and rewrite it in post and we did and we did more than once so the, the definition of a movie that was saved in the edit, if, if you consider it saved. If you consider it saved. And I don't consider it saved. I think that oh. it was just 
too much editing in this movie for its own good. I would have preferred to have seen, I think, a shitty version of their original vision that maybe would have given me a little bit more of like the slow burn, the natural building of dread than this, where it's just like, whoa. Whoa. <laughs> well, we should talk about the horror elements of this because I found I found the the horror, the more overtly horrific scenes or supernatural scenes to be among the stronger in the film. I found them to be very exciting but also very jarring. Um and and the you know, the score is pretty bombastic when it would be in an insidious type movie. It it really does feel like this is like three different kinds of films in one. Like it's part insidious, it's part persona and it's part like I don't know. I thought of Meek's cutoff a lot during this, you know, <laughs> feminist revisionist Western. And I don't know that the twain really meet successfully anywhere, at least for me. Well, I'm glad you mentioned the horror elements. I, I I am pulling my punches a little bit because I respect a lot of what these people were trying to do. I think there's a lot of artistry and talent on display in this film. I would certainly watch anything that these filmmakers did again. But oh, I, I, would, I would totally agree. But I thought that there were just so many choices that were aggressively obnoxious in this movie, including the way they presented these scares and jump scares where you have these like screechy violence screaming at you as if to jolt you when there's nothing scary happening on screen there's a wolf attack in like the third (laughs) scene where it's just it's it's over the top it's more insane than anything in the gray and (laughs) well okay the the wolf attack you're talking about the wolf attack like when she's backed up against the wall firing her gun at the door yeah i mean Is it a wolf attack, though? I mean, that scene really gripped me, because early on, I didn't know how horror was going to be infused in this, and yeah, we've seen that before, where there's an unknown threat on the other side of the door, like, we have an idea of what it might be, but could it be something more sinister? It's pretty boilerplate, but to have that dropped into this melodramatic western, I thought was a pretty bold and exciting move. I don't, it was, I was it on board was, for it that. It was still when we were kind of, you know, establishing the tone, everything was real dark, we just saw a dead woman in a casket with her dead baby, I'm like, oh god, I'm, I'm feeling drawn in, then we see some wolves, and it's like, the, the wolves are, are ominous enough, given what we've seen like mm-hmm. i don't need to see crazy b movie wolves that are like snapping at you through the door like it's jurassic park like that's that takes me out of it yeah i agreed that the wolf scene was pretty ridiculous especially with this strange locking mechanism that she's kind of jerry-rigged on the door like basically she just has a small piece of chain that she kind of wraps around what appears to be a nail to like hold the door shut which i mean probably that was not too far from what they were actually working with at this time but it's just it's such a ludicrous security device to hold back these wolves that are otherwise like just raging at the door Um, I don't know. I mean, Steven certainly brings up an interesting point that, you know, given later events in the film where they was, was there really a wolf attack at all? But um, I'm like, I'm like, maybe there was a wolf attack. Maybe not. But I don't think she thinks they're wolves after a certain point in that scene. And that's what made it. Yeah, it's it's over the top. But that's what made it kind of intriguing to me. It felt very silly and incongruous at that point in the movie. In any case. And and maybe this is just me looking for the movie that I was hoping to get, which would be more like The Witch, where we just kind of slowly build up some dread and then it culminates in some, some terror. But it felt like a movie where they 
you know, whatever. And, and based on this, this article that we have, we know that their first cut didn't quite work. And so they took it to the editing room and reshuffled it all around. And I'm thinking that maybe at that point, whatever dread was in the screenplay and then their first cut was kind of gone. So they had to kind of artificially insert some, like by just keeping things tense by like quickly cutting the camera and going, sure with the strings at you to get you to jolt in your seat a little bit or by having these crazy jump cuts at the wolf attack. So, I mean, you talk about building dread, but I, I felt great dread from that opening scene and it was sustained for a, a long portion of the film for me. So we're very interestingly different uh, responses to that there. I would absolutely say this film builds dread from moment one huh. personally. The opening was very strong. Yeah. Before it got mired in, in its stylistic excess, which just did not work for me. Let's talk about our, our lead. I thought she did a phenomenal job. Oh, yeah. Performance is mean, good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has to carry this whole goddamn thing on her shoulders for the most part. I mean, Emma, the, the actress who plays Emma, certainly has some, some stuff to do, but uh, this actress who plays Lizzie does the vast majority of the heavy lifting and, and certainly lives up to the task. I thought the performances were good. I did not like the dialogue at all. I wanted <laughs> I wanted to bring that up because I think we've been spoiled by Robert Eggers quite a bit, but like... I cannot watch a period movie now without, like, post The Witch or Meek's Cutoff, another uh, uh, period western um, that that has a very authentic feel. I can't watch one of these things now without thinking about the authenticity of the dialogue, the accents, the costuming, the set design. Like, this movie, because it has such an interesting shape, I had moments to, like, for my mind to wander and really think about the authenticity and the accuracy of some of these elements. And it took me out of the experience more often than not, especially the dialogue, as you were saying, Chris. Well, I don't care about the authenticity, but I do want them to sound like real people and not kind of like, well, what would someone, how would someone say this back in the old days? Well, that's what, that's what I mean, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. um, it felt very, very Hollywood at times. Yeah. They just way. didn't really seem like real people to me in, in what they were saying. What I found interesting, and this seemed like a stylistic choice, really, was that they they sounded like modern people speaking with modern cadence and, and accents, I guess. You, you didn't get the sense of anybody trying to do an accent of that time or emulate the speech patterns of the time. It felt very contemporary, I guess. Um, and that seemed like a choice. I And I don't know if I have a feeling about it, necessarily. It was just something I noticed repeatedly. At least until the Reverend shows up later oh, on God. and has a such a heavy Texas accent That's that between true, that yeah. and his face, I thought it was Ron Paul. I thought Ron Paul was on set. <laughs> R.I.P. Oh my God. Yeah, man, fuck. Like it's 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 hard to talk about this because like the the information that's parceled out over the course of the film, it's kind of hard to like say where you're revealing too much and 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 where you're not i feel like to get into any real depth on this we need to get into the spoiler room well i feel like i mean i'm a little bit conflicted because i feel like simultaneously a lot happens in this movie and not very much happens i think what happens is like big and impactful uh, and, and there, there are you know strong ideas behind the the main events in this movie, but there are very few of them, and and they're doled out in in such a way that I feel like we get 
15 minutes of plot over the course of an hour and a half film. Um, it is really hard to talk about without spoiling it or even deciding what is a spoiler or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it, sure. I mean, I gotta be honest. I, it bored me for the most part. Um, and maybe maybe this is heading into reviews more than just discussion. Oh, um, you're reviewing it right now, I think. <laughs> okay. <I'll laughs> yeah, just get it over I'll with. I'll just review and get it over with. I, I have to give this movie a screw it. I Whoa. Again, it really pains me because, I, like I said, there's a lot of good attributes here. But I... I kind of hated this movie um, between the what I thought was unnecessarily convoluted time shifting to the, the the jump scares and stuff, which I just thought were real. There are a couple good jump scares, but there's a lot more stuff that I just thought was obnoxious. And then in between, it's like, yeah, like Steven said, there's a few plot points. There's some scenes which I thought were good dramatic scenes, but it's just nothing's happening and i didn't i wasn't afraid of the wind i wasn't (laughs) (laughs) i mean maybe that's the worst thing you can say about it about a movie called the wind yeah i would think so (laughs) i wasn't scared of of what was out there um i was mostly scared of the editorial choices of the movie um so i'll give it a screw it like i said god bless them i'll watch their next movie but didn't do it for me. I was very disappointed with this because I picked it and I was looking for something nice. I wanted to see this scrappy young woman on the prairie with her shotgun defending your home from God knows what terrors. And you know what? Just as a side note, and this is kind of going back to discussion maybe, I thought that this movie would have been a lot better if it had some sense of humor about itself. Cause there's some silly shit mm. in this movie. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> I would like to see uh, a little bit of a winky version of this where it's a little bit campier. And I think it would have had a lot of potential, but just the, it wasn't working for me and the way they were going for us. So just this super serious sort of stuffy period thing did not work for me. Screw it. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to get Emma Tammy in here and have you tell her her movie should have been funnier. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I mean, we'll get into it in the spoiler room, but uh, the one scene in this that is like overtly campy with the Reverend, I love, but like on an island unto itself. I did not want it in this movie or what I thought this movie was going to be going into it. I think Chris is taking a very like anarchist approach. To, <laughs> the only way to make this movie better is just to completely blow it up. <laughs> yeah, that, maybe. That... Like, I I wanted to see a movie where it's like Lizzie's been here. She's seen some shit. She knows what's out there in the wind. She's got her gun. She's got her farm animals. And then like the neighbors move in next door, and and they're like, "Hey, you want you want to go out at night in the wind?" And she's like, "Fuck no, I don't." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean that sounds like an interesting movie, but it's a different movie. Yeah. It's like saying that you want this movie, but you want there to be aliens in it or something. Well, because there were a few points in this movie where Lizzie is like, "Fuck it, I'm I'm putting both hands on the steering wheel, and I am gonna take control of my situation." And I, I, that was very fun for me. And I don't know, I just. I mean, we're we're talking about a movie where there's a scene where she's like walking back to her cottage and her like the ghost of her dead friend just like ooh like walking behind her. Like that's silly. It's I mean, Chris, I have to say I mean say, it could like, be silly. Like there's any like anything in a movie you could play silly. 
I think it should have been played silly. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you got me all fucked up when you when you mentioned the <laughs> the editing bit about this. Like because I like I felt like I came into this discussion with a firm stance on how I felt about this movie, and now I don't even really understand what this movie is trying to achieve, knowing that backstory. So I could kind of go either way. So would you view it, cue it, or screw it? I mean, if we're talking either way in that sense, it's between a cue it and a screw it. (laughs) I'll give it a cue it because I think I do know some people, you know, thinking of doing this in the spirit of would we recommend this to anyone? Uh, I think I know some people who might enjoy this. Uh, I really wanted to. I love a good kind of surreal female psychodrama pseudo horror movie i love repulsion i love robert altman's images and three women i love persona uh this movie i think aspires to be like each of those films in in its own different ways but doesn't quite achieve it because i think of a just a lack of a lack of a singular vision which isn't to say it isn't well directed or well shot or well acted but the editing really kind of killed it for me so i'm going to give it a, a low cue it if you like any of those four movies that i mentioned that i think are in a similar vein but better and you've run out of other stuff to watch to scratch that itch check it out patrick um, I, I will go with the Cuit as well. It really lost some steam for me in the final third, maybe. And in the end, I, I'm still trying to puzzle out kind of what the what the point or what the overall theme of this was. And I'm sure we're going to have a rip-roaring discussion about that in the spoiler room. <laughs> but, I mean, I already have made this point about the editing. But I, actually, I, I thought the editing, and actually the story Chris told about them going back to the drawing board with this and recutting it and rewriting it in the editing room is fascinating to me. Because I think they came up with something that, to me, was maybe bordering on masterful i really thought they did a nice job of again portraying the character's disorientation through that editing in a way that still made sense and hung together and and that i could piece together as a viewer it's an interesting film it's certainly not fully successful the title of the wind is terrible they should have picked a different title for sure oh the better title is in the movie i don't know if this is a spoiler but demons of the prairie would have been amazing right yeah yeah, sure. absolutely. And then you're expecting kind of a metaphor. I mean, based on the title and the and the description on Netflix, I don't think you would be wrong to assume, like I would, that we're dealing with something like the like the fog or the mist or or it, co- like, or it mm. comes at night, whatever the it is, which we never find mm. out. Sure, mm-hmm. like like yeah. you're definitely following a tradition, whether you want to or not, when you name your movie The Wind. And if the wind really doesn't drive the action in your movie, like, can you remember a scene? Where the wind, like, there's. Hey, who's reviewing here? Right. Who's reviewing here? Chris? I also sorry, do sorry, remember Patrick. a scene, but we'll get into it in the story. All right. Right. All right. <laughs> Continue. Patrick. No, I mean the wind. The wind just could be the title of anything. The fog, at least, is evocative of something that we already think of as sort of creepy or mysterious. But the wind could could be anything, and it's not expounded upon within the movie meaningfully or memorably enough to go, oh. The wind. I I really get why it's called that now. You know, I mean, other than that, you know, she's out on the prairie. Her only companion is the wind, whatever. I, I, I mean, I get it. But there's still, you could do better. I don't know why I'm fixating so much on the title in this review right now. But anyways, cue it. That's my review. Well, this isn't really spoilers, but from the same article that I was reading before, uh, they talk about how the the writer was was living in Kansas and 
uh, was working in a community garden and the wind was blowing a lot and a woman told her, uh, you know, it used to drive women crazy, this wind. Mm. <laughs> and she was like, what? Tell me all about that. And so from that kernel of an idea that like, oh, all the crazy winds out there will drive you, drive you nuts. That's kind of where they were coming from. Well, and I think the movie probably needed a character to say that, basically. You know, I mean, not to be too on the nose with it, but to, to draw that direct connection to the, the significance of the wind. Like, no one talks about the wind. We hear the wind a couple of times, but other, otherwise there's no real significance given to this title within the text of the film, you know? Make it more of a nuisance, you know? There is the one scene where the <laughs> where the wind blows down her clothesline. Yeah. You, you have that the, shit happening all movie. <laughs> you wanted the wind to just blow those wolves right into the house. Yeah. yeah. Seemed like it was trying. Wolf was NATO. Trying. All right. Well, that's, uh, I guess, all we can say now before we uh, head over to the, to the spoiler cottage and talk about everything else that happens in the wind. If you don't want to stick around for spoilers, Godspeed. But before you go, you know, you can uh, check us out on social media at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N-Cast. You can go to our website at everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com. You can go to our merchandise store. We got shirts and shit to sell you. We got a list of all the movies we've reviewed on our website. Uh, or, you know, just drop us a message and tell us what you thought of the movie because we love hearing from our listeners. And you know what? There's only three of us and we don't get it right all the time just most of the time and still no one from the united arab emirates has beamed in to offer thoughts on grandmother's farm so come well, on hop were, to it they're on their way but they had to stop at the convenience store for a few weeks <laughs> <laughs> so. oh boy all right we're going over to the spoiler cabin we will see you soon Welcome back. We are here in the in the spoiler cabin trying to keep the goddamn door closed so the wind doesn't blow in here. And uh, we're going to spoil everything about the wind. So, I mean, like Steven said earlier, there's a few main plot points dispersed in piecemeal in a nonlinear fashion throughout this whole movie. Uh, the important takeaways are, as I said earlier, our heroes... Lizzie and Isaac get closer to Emma and Gideon, the neighbors across the field. Lizzie becomes a little suspicious that Emma and her husband Isaac are getting a little too familiar. Emma eventually becomes pregnant, starts to think that the wind outside contains a spooky in it. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, but she's hysterical. Wait, are we sure, Chris, I'm sorry. Are we sure that it's a spooky? Is it, could it be a critter or a ghoulie? Or a munchie, even? If this were about a critter, I think I would have liked it more. Oh, hell yes. Okay, sorry. But Emma uh, apparently shoots herself in the head with a shotgun, inexplicably. They try to save the baby. They can't save the baby. Lizzie has already been pregnant and miscarried at some point previously in the timeline. And basically, Lizzie's left alone. She's in the wind. She's trying to put her life back together. She's experiencing spooky things like wolf attacks. And then basically, her husband comes home. I'm fucking this up. 
it's such a hard movie to talk about but her husband you're doing great you're doing great basically at the end of the movie her husband comes home uh she's convinced that like her husband is a spooky critter from the wind and we kind of it's kind of revealed that oh actually lizzie's just crazy basically lizzie's crazy and she's she, got she's got a case of the vapors <laughs> bitches be crazy is the feminist takeaway <laughs> and she shot emma in the face apparently she murdered emma because she found out that emma was actually sleeping with her husband she was sleeping with isaac and the baby might have even been isaac's yeah and lizzie can't handle it so she murdered Emma in cold blood. She murders Isaac, her husband, in cold blood. Then she goes out to the prairie and she sits down and she's like, "Yep, that's me. Wind made me go crazy." Well, is that coherent at all? Is that lucid yeah, at all? I, I, it's, as yeah. lucid as I as lucidly as I think you can describe this narrative. Yeah. Well, and and the, and the preacher also shows up at some point who she had met earlier in the movie and who had given her a book about like the demons of the prairie, which which is where Chris got his title from before. Stephen. Oh, Stephen, Stephen got his title for the alternate title for the movie from before, and the preacher ends up being a vision monster, spooky. You know, don't know hallucination. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, we have an unreliable narrator here, so we really don't know what happened in this movie and what didn't. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, case in point, we got a reverend who comes to the house and has a pleasant visit, then leaves, then comes back apparently as a critter from the wind. Mm -hmm. Then Lizzie finds his corpse in the morning, but then when Lizzie's husband Isaac comes home, he's like, oh yeah, I saw that reverend on on the trail. He was doing great. He said you were very friendly. God bless. And what do you make of that? We really don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I guess I want to offer an alternate interpretation of your description of the scene where Lizzie shoot, where we finally see what happened to Emma, where Lizzie shoots Emma in the head. I don't know that Lizzie does that just because she's like upset that Emma and Isaac were sleeping together. Emma's kind of unhinged herself in that scene, and Lizzie seems scared by her because Emma is clearly losing it. Oh yeah, even like like long before that. Well, it's hard to tell exactly how long before, but I mean, Emma says some some pretty fucked up shit about Isaac and like comparing him to the devil or something. I I got kind of lost in that scene. My favorite scene in this movie. My my favorite scene. The gold star scene. Five stars for this scene. Check it out. The rest of the movie. Screw it. Is when Emma and Lizzie are talking about baby names. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm talking about. That's yeah. right. That was that was the impetus for that conversation. That was awesome. That, that was, was great the writing. Best scene. Sorry, Patrick. We 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 derailed you. We're, talk, <laughs> we're talking about the we're talking about the scene where Emma gets. I mean, uh, I, rem- gets I blasted. Oh, about oh yes, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm just trying to bring us back. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I I think you know Emma is clearly losing it just under these very isolated conditions that they're in, and and I think that's what Lizzie ultimately succumbs to as well and you know i don't know i i like i said i'm still i w- the main thing i'm struggling with this is what's the point what's the theme you know i think certainly you could read it the way chris just did which is basically you know bitches be crazy turns out <laughs> she's just a crazy woman who wanted to kill everybody around her and i, and I think that it's a valid 
reading like you can certainly i mean look i'm being i'm being facetious well but no i I think i think that's valid though like that's certainly an interpretation of this film that you can look at the pieces and they can add up to that i think they can also add up to you know a piece about isolation a piece about both these women kind of being dragged out to this place by their husbands and Mm -hmm. what happens as a result of that i don't think that it's that the dots are connected quite clearly enough obviously because we're not sure if the point is supposed to be that or if the point is supposed to be bitches be crazy well i I think it's definitely about the things that can make you go crazy more so than just being like women they crazy yeah well (laughs) yes i think it's about that but like there aren't really any clear through lines to get to that like i don't know there's an interesting scene early on when the the four of them have dinner together for the first time and uh gideon says something about how like what a great meal lizzie made and how like she should teach his wife or he wishes his wife could make Mm. a good meal i don't remember what the Mm -hmm. exact line is and then like lizzie and Emma are washing up and Lizzie is like kind of on board with the patriarchal hierarchy and and saying that she'll like help her out like help her how to be a better housewife or whatever and I was like wait what like I, I, this is when we're still trying to figure out how we feel about our protagonist, which I don't know if it ever became totally clear for me. And it seemed like that was going to lead to maybe some like flashbacks of Lizzie being gaslit into this whole thing. But like, we don't really quite get that either. It's just so muddled. I don't know. Like I, I, have, mean, my, I have my thoughts about like what some of the themes are. I just don't think they're articulated very clearly. Yeah. They're simple people living a rough life, you know? And I mean, so, so basically, I mean, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit on this article that I keep going back to where the writer talks about, how you know back in the day the men would go off and be the cowboys and we always and that that we always see but someone had to stay on the homestead and that was the women and that was when Mm. we were pregnant that was when the floods would come that was when the wildfires were rampant they meaning the women were there and they were the protectors of the homestead they were taking care of business it's just not a perspective we've seen it's a silent part of history for women who were doing amazing things just to keep alive so that's kind of where their head's at when they're right in the movie. And I think that's communicated in when you see the depictions of all, all the chores and the rough life. But again, it's like, uh, is this a strong woman or is this someone who can't handle the stress of the wind blowing against her door? And so she kill, <laughs> becomes a murderer. <laughs> yeah, I think I think like the whole, what you're saying, Chris, is pulling some thoughts together uh, that, that were previously just loosely connected in my head. And I, I think that makes a good case for the horror undermining some of the really interesting um, enrich potential themes in this movie because that's where we start to wonder if she's just crazy and she just can't hack it. I love the idea that that Isaac, the husband, is a cowboy and that maybe he, he's like when he's gone, he's just he's a fucking gunslinger. This whole movie, <laughs> but yeah. we we just don't see it. He's just like fucking John Wayne out there. <laughs> I, I I would have loved this movie so much more if there had been like one scene where like that indicates like you know where he like comes home and he just like takes off his gun belt and like flips his gun, lays <laughs> it down. I'd love it if every time he came home, he was just like drenched in another man's blood and. Every- Every time he opens the door, it goes, ah! <laughs> what? <laughs> Better movie. Uh, Wait, what yeah. was what was that sound effect you just did? It, it was kind of like the theme from Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Oh, okay. Ah! 
Gotcha. <laughs> but that's not what we get. Oh, that's not boy. what we get. You know what I thought the scariest scene is? Well, there were two scenes that were pretty fucking scary in this movie for me. One was when she finds the diary of Emma. And that was when it had the only really effective jump scare for me because she finds Emma's diary. And of course, when you find a diary in a horror movie, you know some shit's going to go down. So I'm very drawn in and focused on this. I'm like, fuck yeah, she found a diary. Because it's like uh, Ouija Origin of Evil when they find the diary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the best part of the movie. Hell yes, it is. Because <laughs> the diary doesn't end when the writer of the diary dies. <laughs> But so I'm like, all right, she found a diary. I'm very, very into this diary. And she picks it up off the floor and like the ghost of Emma is there. And she's like, where's your gun, Lizzie? And I I shit my pants. Um, The other scary part was because obviously there's this wolf attack in the beginning and we see that her goat has died. And then she goes outside and her goat's there. The wind got her goat. White Philip is there. And that was, I thought, really scary and dreadful. Like, what's scarier than seeing your pet that was horribly killed and now it's there, alive again? But here's the fucking problem. The whole movie is told out of sequence, so that doesn't really work, you know? Yeah. Because we're having continuity stuff all over the place. So it's like maybe, I don't those, know. Those scenes occur in sequence, though, right? Like, we see the goat, the goat is killed, and the goat returns. Like, that happens right. in that order, right? Right, yeah. and it's pretty clear what's going on. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't Some know. Some good spooks. It's 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 uh, it is weird because there's there's the there's like the the shape the outline of there's like the sort of out of focus image of uh, a pretty fucking solid movie here, but it just mm-hmm. it doesn't quite coalesce. It's mm-hmm. a bit like the scene when uh, Lizzie. Uh, and again, I don't remember where in the timeline this is, but I really liked the shot. But there's a scene where she's kind of disturbed, I think, in the moment, but like getting a reality check or trying to get a reality check on herself by like looking into the mirror. But the mirror is just this like antique, cloudy thing that, you know, you can barely, mm. you know, make out uh, anything more than the shape of her image in. Th- that's a good metaphor for this movie, I think. <laughs> which, which I think is something the film aspires to, though. I mean, again, back to, you know, Persona and Images and these other movies that deal with, you know, women kind of undergoing psychosis because they can't, they've, they've, like, they've reached the end of their rope with the way they're treated in society, they're reevaluating their identities. Those movies all take on an equally kind of shapeless sort of uh, pacing to mirror what's going on inside the protagonist's mind, but I think they're done with a little bit more intent than than this film was. Mm. That said, I would love to read the original screenplay and see what they were actually working with before they assembled this thing. That's actually how I found that article. I was looking for the screenplay because mm. I had a sense that there had been some post-production fuckery with this movie. And I couldn't find the screenplay, but I did find that article. But yeah, I, I would love to see, even just as a curiosity, even if the finished movie is better, I think it would be very interesting to see the original version. But I see here that the director, Emma Tammy has directed two episodes of a Hulu horror anthology series called Into the Dark. Mm-hmm. So I might have to check those out because I, I don't think she doesn't have chops. I just think there was a little bit of a misfire on this particular project. 
Well, what are we watching next week? Is that it? Are we done talking about the know. wind? <laughs> Dude, I don't know. So I feel like uh, Sakurbanoth or whatever his name is needs to become a new Amon meme, though. The the demon, the the fucking uh, the bringer of jealous the perversior of the marital bed. I think it says. I don't know if that's how you pronounce that, but he's like the perverter of the marriage bed. Damn, the bringer of jealous thoughts. Yes, I hate it when the marriage bed gets perverted. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's happening every day in america these days man we got to save the marriage bed oh um this this might be nothing but but we were talking about the the wind and the wind being a presence or not being a presence in this movie and steven you said you thought that the wind was a presence in the movie in some scene i did i mean with the sound design which if we're talking about the score is obnoxious i did feel like a sense of the wind being a presence at least like on the soundtrack it did feel at times like a movie that i really made me want to like curl up with a blanket you know and like close the blinds and pretend it's storming outside i Mm -hmm. I, I like that about it yeah, I listened to it uh, with headphones on, and I liked hearing all the little creaks of the house and everything, and kind of the constant presence of the wind. Yeah. Um, but hmm. again, it wasn't ominous or anything, because the wind itself didn't really matter. Right. It's not as malevolent as the title would imply. No. Yeah, I guess it was more of a presence than I suggested earlier in the film, now that you guys are pointing out all these different things, but... It still doesn't gel <laughs> to me. It still doesn't merit the title "The Wind." God damn it! No, the that, wind. It feel, the that title feels "The like Wind" is still note. lame. I mean, I, I, I would really, I'd be very interested to learn. I can't whether imagine or not that, that though. Like, what studio would want to give it such a lame name? That that, that sucks. Maybe we Demons got it of the wrong. Prairie is better. That's like the studio note. Is they're like, oh, that's cool on the on the pamphlet. This is a cool title, you know. And I mean, I agree. I think it should have been called Demons of the Prairie. I like that title. But that seems more like something where the studio goes, oh, people will know what this is about. They'll, you know, this will sell. Maybe it's actually the wind. Maybe it's about <laughs> being wound up out there on the prairie. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess that's it. What the hell are we watching next week? Patrick, it's your turn to decide. Oh, shit. It's my turn to decide. Don't All right, let us I've been, down. Don't let us down. I can't, uh, I can't I, do another bad one. <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> can't go back in the dark again. Yeah, I've been wanting to watch this one for a while. We are going to watch Pizza, which attracted oh my, my attention God. on Netflix <laughs> yes. originally. It attracted my attention on Netflix originally because the title was Pizza. And I was like, there's a horror movie called Pizza. This has to be insane and absurd. It's a Bollywood movie, I believe. I don't have the Netflix summary close at hand. but I think it's about a pizza delivery boy who runs into some occult type shit while he's out doing his pizza delivering. And we all know I love a good Bollywood movie, especially a good Bollywood horror movie. And that combination of factors, uh, just, I was like, all right, got to watch this sometime. All right. But if there's anything in this movie I recognize from Pizza Face Killer, I'm suing for copyright infringement. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be some uh, some minority report shit. Well, that'll be in two weeks. We'll be back and we'll be watching pizza. And you know what? I might fuck around and eat some pizza next episode. Oh, Ooh, I could go I for a pie. pizza in so I long. I could go for a puck fucking za right now. <laughs> yeah. Maybe some Totino's pizza rolls. What the fuck? Get your, get your fucking pizza rolls out of this cop. We're not eating fucking pizza. We're eating fucking pizza. I'll put some rolls in my mouth. Rolls. I'll put some rolls in my mouth. We're going to be putting some rolls in our mouth. Good. <laughs> Come to my Good. house and see a pizza. Good. 
No. Or no, a pizza roll. No, it's going to be pizza in this case. You're going to come over to our house and see a pizza. You want to go nuts? Can we just close out of this episode? Yeah, all right. Yeah, so so we're going to be making a spicy pizza in two weeks. (laughs) Mamma mia. (laughs) Mamma mia. The moon's going to hit our eye like a big pizza pie. (laughs) And 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 that's some more, Jay. (laughs) Shit. I hate that so much. <laughs> I hate that. I, oh. I hope that pizza comes with some more, Jay. All right. All right. Well, that's that's we got to get out of here in a hurry. So, so that's it. See you. Yeah, here see comes you the in, wind. Bye-bye. See you in two weeks. We're, we'll be watching pizza for every horror movie on Netflix. I'm Chris. I'm Patrick. I'm Stephen. Goodbye. <laughs>